Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I'm jazz, super excited to be in conversation with my next guest, the founder, publisher, and editor-in-chief of Offbeat Magazine, which is a major voice in the music scene and cultural scene of Louisiana and New Orleans. Please welcome Jan Ramsey. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm thrilled to meet you. Thrilled to have you on. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to start off with one of these sort of like introductory questions. Um, I, I find like, and because I've been revisiting it through these interviews with folks, you know, discovering like, wow, I really was into interviewing and talking with people when I was really young. And so for you, could you tell us about some of the things that you were into creatively when you were a younger person and how maybe that has like presented itself in your work these days and your work over the last like period with the magazine? Well, from the time I was a little kid, Um, I was really into music. I mean, I always loved music. And, you know, I'm one of those kids that grew up with the Beatles and stuff like that. But uh, I remember my dad used to bring home records for me because he knew how much I liked music. And I would listen to him constantly. I had a little record player, which is, you know, now everybody is back to listening to vinyl again. But this was the original vinyl. But I always loved music. Um, I used to uh, play guitar. Uh, I used to, I was a band nerd because I, I mean, I loved music, all different kinds of music. And I think that was a, uh, you know, something that was um, given to me by my parents and my grandfather who lived with us. Um, He had a hi-fi, homemade hi-fi, and they used to play hi-fi. Do people even know what a hi-fi is anymore? It was, you know, it was a a homemade hi-fi system and he used to play everything from opera to music, you know, Broadway shows. And so I listened to a bunch of different stuff. And then back then, also the radio uh, scenario was a lot different because uh, they used to play a lot of local New Orleans R&B on the radio. Back then, it was when I first it was first AM and then FM as time went on. But AM, I remember my dad gave me a little radio, a transistor radio that didn't need batteries. You'd, you'd take an alligator clip and stick it on a metal thing and it would, you know, you could hear it. But I would stay awake at night um, listening to this radio, listening to the radio stations um, at all night to my and to myself in bed. And it would play stuff like Fats Domino and Irma Thomas and... Tommy Ridgely and I mean all these R and B people. So I loved all that music. Yeah. So I was a I was a music freak. And then I was a big reader, loved to read, always have, and always I was an art major in school. So my mom used to tell me stuff like, Boy, you landed in exactly the right situation job wise. Because <laughs> I love I love music. I love to write. Um, I love art and photography and I like creative people. So, you know, how lucky am I to be doing this for a living? That's, it's, it's fantastic. That is fantastic. And, you know, and, and thank you for, for walking us through that a little bit. I mean, I, I like, I'm feeling like a kindred spirit kind of right here of like just being invested in the culture of where you're from and taking like something that you're really into and kind of shifting into like a pursuit to a, a practice that you've been doing for, for a while, like in, 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 in the magazine. So if you will, 
could you tell us like how having this interest and in, in listening to you know music in different ways and having an interest in the culture and being a musician in your own right led to like offbeat magazine like how did it start and, and what was the goal once you got started once you started rather well, I had a I had a job. I had a real job before I did the magazine, and um, I worked for a of all things. I worked for a CPA firm and traveled a bit because I we were, I was a consultant. And um, the, the the company that I worked for at the time was based in New Orleans, but we worked all over the country. And I asked my boss, um, you know, how come we don't have any a lot of clients in New Orleans? Because I mean, we I traveled all the time. I would, you know, went to, you know, the, mostly the southeast, but in, on occasion to California, but I went to Baltimore. I mean, there are a lot of places that I've been, and um, I just thought after I I started, uh, I I got involved with the Chamber of Commerce of all things, and I I felt like I wanted to do some work for my company to, to try to do business development stuff like that well in working at the uh in this committee at the chamber of commerce um it was economic development sub subcommittee or something and um right about that time i met a guy who uh was an attorney probably the only music attorney in town that anybody knew of and I had dinner with him one night and all, it's, it just, it was like a eureka moment. I thought, you know, something, somebody has to do something with music here because while we have all this beautiful talent and creativity, we don't have the ability or we've never, we never had the ability to take it much outside of New Orleans or Louisiana. It was, you know, it, we didn't have a music industry here. Okay. And um, I thought, well, since I have a business background and I have all this interest in music, maybe I sh maybe it would be good for me to get involved in the, in music industry development. So that's kind of where the idea for Offbeat started. But at that time, there was another magazine that existed, a music magazine that really was more. Um, it was almost like a fanzine, you know. Not a lot of people knew about it. And I, you know, being an ambitious, uh, and again, I was, you know, this is almost 40 years ago, so I was younger and I had a lot more energy than I have now. But um, I thought if we take this music and take this information on where people can find music when they come to visit, because we have a strong hospitality industry, then that will be great for the music economy, for the clubs, for the musicians. And of course, we had Jazz Fest. And I could see, as a business person, I could see the appeal that the Jazz Fest had for people from outside of this area. And back then, it was a lot smaller than it is now. And I thought, there's really something here that the business community and the hospitality industry is not tapping into. Okay? So, um I was going to buy this other magazine. I, what happened was, is I got involved in this. I, I started this nonprofit um, music industry development thing called the New Orleans Music and Entertainment Association. And um, I was the first president of that. And then um, I backed off a little bit because a lot of the music people were, um, how should, what, I, what should I say, annoyed that somebody like me who was not, you know, one of one of 
a musician, you know, or had a band, was interested in doing this. And people, they do that sometimes, you know, they get jealous or whatever, you know, because I had the ability because I wrote, I actually wrote for a living. I used to write reports and stuff. And uh, they were, I think they were kind of jealous that I had managed to put music on the map in terms of a business because I saw the fact that, you know, nobody talks about music in terms of the economy and what it means to the city. So I thought I got to get music on, you know, on the radar of the business community, uh, you know, the, the government and, you know, the businesses here and less of the hospitality industry that is really going to do some stuff. And so that's what I tried to do. So I was going to, I thought if I buy this other magazine, she tried to sell it to me. I think it was, it, well, it was in a bad financial situation. Um, if I take this magazine, the, this media, and this is pre-internet, way pre-internet, um, ha- the media has the ability to influence people and change their minds and put things you know, in front of them that they wouldn't necessarily be able to know about. So, so that's why I got into media because I thought the media was the best way to do this. And that's why we're, we're offbeat started. And, um, you know, it was a scenario where I, um, I distributed it in all the hotels and nobody had done that before. And, you know, I mean, when people are coming into town, because everybody thinks that New Orleans is a music town. Everybody comes from outside, you know, to where's the jazz? You know, they think jazz because that's what they they hear. And um, but nobody was telling them where it was. And the concierges and the people in the hotels really didn't know. So the idea was to put offbeat in all the hotels. So if somebody came up to, you know, a front desk person or a concierge and said, well, I I think I want to go listen to music tonight. What do I do? So the idea was say, okay, give them an offbeat and then they can you know, figure out where to go. So what we used to do is used to uh, have, you know, real extensive um, listings on where the music was and what kind of music and obviously what time and stuff like that. So um, that was kind of where it started in the hospitality industry. But then the magazine that I was going to buy that I didn't buy went out of business and it was just us. And, um, you know, Offbeat evolved into more of a, um a consumer magazine not so much a business magazine it was it was more consumer oriented so i i ran with that and when i was doing it um i was still involved in trying to develop the music industry and i went to i was on the advisory board of a you know the louisiana music commission or something and i said you know one of the things that you guys really need to think about doing is doing a uh, a directory of resources uh, and that would include you know the recording studios and the musicians and the bands and the attorneys and the radio stations and stuff like that i said you really need to do that and because i knew texas was doing it and um they said no we don't need to do that we don't need that and being the crazy entrepreneur and you know driven person that I was I said yeah you got you need to do it and if you're not going to do it then I'm going to do it so that's where the music directory started and we did it for I don't know 16 years I quit doing it after Katrina it got too hard but um I'm trying to revive it through the state uh, because I just there's now another movement of trying to you know develop the music industry but and I think a lot of that 
um, has to do with the fact that Offbeat has lasted for so long. And when we have, and, and the magazine has made a name for itself, not just locally, but, you know, throughout the, the world. I mean, we have subscribers all over the place, all over the world. So um, what I discovered, you know, having been in the business for, for so long is that the people who are from outside of this area know more about the music than the people who live here. You know, you know, you know, Joe Blow doesn't, you know, he doesn't know anything about the clubs in New Orleans because he doesn't listen to to local music. He listens to commercial radio now. And of course, all of that changed drastically. But, you know, it's it's like um, we need, you know, the recognition for, uh, you know, the musicians here, because, you know, of course, again, I, I love I like creative people. I'm very inspired by creativity and especially by music. And, you know, these these people need to be appreciated. In some ways, I feel like I'm like beating my head against a brick wall because in America, and I'm not just talking about New Orleans, but in America overall, you don't have the respect for creative output and the artists that make the creative output that you do say in like in Europe, okay? You know, you don't have it. You don't have the support. And it's, 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 it's really, it bothers me a lot, you know, because if people knew what it was like to live in a city that did not have what New Orleans and, and well, the outside the city too, you know, what we have here, you know, they, it would, it would be hard on them, but so many people have never lived anyplace else. And believe it or not, in, in, in New Orleans, particularly people don't leave. They stay here until they die, you know, and they don't travel anyplace else, but they don't know what it's like to live in other cities. I do. I lived in other cities. So I know what it's like, you know? Well, well, one of the things, and I mean, it, what I'm hearing like in there, I, I, I hear so many, I hear different versions of things that I've felt that I've said, and I've felt, um, my background was in business. I got a degree as a business admin, but on the analytics side, so business administration mm -hmm. and bachelor's of science. And, you know, as I was, we were talking about a little bit before getting started, I think, you know, having sort of this interest, early interest, I wanted to be a comic book artist when I was a kid and it was just like my parents were like, I don't know if that's going to be the thing that pays the bills. So I went into business, but always had a desire to and a desire and appreciation for art and creativity of all kinds. And I think it was for the best to have that background in business so I can strategically sort of funnel and think entrepreneurially. So like even coming here, I see ideas that I can nip, like even from a hotel standpoint, that could be done in different ways in different cities. For instance, having local artists and having them cycle out different parts of visual artists, different parts of the hotel, there are paintings there. Me, as a, as a person visiting, I'm now probably going to follow that artist to maybe talk with them for this podcast. And mm -hmm. that, that sort of directory there, or even the people that I've interviewed in my podcast, building that out as a directory of well over 500 interviews, most of them focused in Baltimore and, you know, kind of branching out in different cities now, but most focused in Baltimore. And that adds a strategy to sort of this wild creative pursuit, but adding strategy from this entrepreneurial mindset and being able to provide that in an effort to, you know, address something. 
that you know mm -hmm. we we see in different cities that oh well this is the arts here this is the culture here and it's like you're not talking to anyone that's in that place you're not mm -hmm. you know it's changing because sometimes you know there may be a, a fair amount of people that come into a city that relocate they live there for a bit and suddenly they fit the face but it's like you don't have the street cred you haven't been here long enough and you know you haven't paid your dues in that way and it's great to have new people coming in but also let's give credit and preservation to the folks that have been doing it for a very long time in that place oh you have it i mean that is that's really a typical thing because when i mentioned a few minutes ago about people are born here and they live here and, and they never move, you know, they don't move to another city or something. Well, that is New Orleans has always been a very, what I consider to be sort of a culturally inbred city. Okay. And um, uh, even though we have people from, you know, outside coming in and who love the culture and, you know, love the music and love the food and love the art and the history and the architecture and stuff like that, they were still living someplace else. Okay, so the local people were the, you know, the the keepers and the progenitors of the culture. Um, and what happened after Katrina, Katrina made a huge change in the city. Okay. And the reason it did is because after Katrina, we had so many young people come here to help us rebuild. And they came from all over the country. They came here, they they lived here for a while, and they got to say, wow, this is a pretty cool place. I'm moving. And then the other thing is that it got very expensive to live in places like New York, you know, Brooklyn, Queens, you know, wherever, and San Francisco, wherever. It got very expensive. And at that time, New Orleans became a, a cool hip city for creatives who couldn't didn't necessarily you know want to spend you know four thousand dollars for an apartment because it was cheaper here but it's not like that anymore and I, and the re the reason why is because a lot of these young people moved started moving to new orleans in droves and they brought in a new uh, a sensibility for different kinds of uh, of music. They brought their culture or their likes with them, and so of course, you know, it, you know, if they interact with the people who make the culture, then you're going to get something different. You know, you're going to get they're going to take something from New Orleans and and take you know what they like, and they're going to mix it up and make something different. You know. But you also, what you also find in New Orleans is a very, again, I said it was an inbred culturally. People, you know, they, they are very um, skeptical um, about uh, anybody who says anything about New Orleans who's not from here, you see. Because it's like, you know, what do you know? You're not from here, you know. You're not even from here. I mean, I can, the, our mayor is from California originally. And she's still, they're still talking about that, you know, that she's from Compton or something, I don't know where she's from. She's from northern part of California. But, you know, she's not from here. And what does she know? You know, that's the kind of mentality that you have from people. And you can't, I mean, I understand it, but you can't, um, you know, you can't live by that and just dismiss people. You know, you can't do that because it's counterproductive to a community 
and the culture. You know, you want to retain and preserve the culture that you have, but you also want to leave it open to transmogrify and change and make something that is rooted in the, in the tradition, but still is new, you know, and a good example of that, I think, and this doesn't really have anything to do with, you know, people who've moved here from out of town. It has to do with younger people. And and the fact that we have a very, very um, developed and strong um, hip hop um, rap and, and bounce, you know, bounces, you know, bounces. Okay. Uh, that's very strong here. And it's a younger, it's a much younger audience and they are not getting the, the exposure that they, they want. They're, they're, you know, they're getting out there, but they're not getting exposure from a a mainstream audience. And there's a lot of reasons for that, which I could tell you, but that would make the interview even longer. But, um, you know, that, that's an important thing. And I mean, this started happening, Years ago, I mean, there's a band called um, the um, Dirty Dozen Brass Band. Well, brass bands are the whole, their whole culture unto themselves. And the Dirty Dozen were the, and this is a, a long time ago, the Dirty Dozen were the first ones to not only take brass bands, but to tie it into bebop and to, um, to jazz. And then, then now there are bands that are, you know, that are more uh, hip hop with, you know, involved with funk. Because we also have a big funk scene here, very, very big funk. And you know, it's all, it's all, you know, moving and changing all the time. So you have to find a way to uh, expose people to to everything that we have. What I'm trying to do with now with, with, with offbeat is I don't want us to be stuck into a situation where we're only covering what I call, you know, legacy artists, which by the way, are dying off. I mean, they're, they're dying like crazy, you know, they, the people get old and die, but, you know, to, to actually, uh, you know, make sure that as the culture changes and the music changes that that those people uh are also getting exposure and they're listened to you know i think it's it's really important because i can pick up a newspaper or you know or any other magazine or whatever there's no real music magazines here except for offbeat we're the still the only one that's really devoted to music and culture but you don't get a lot of exposure to, for younger bands, um, you know, in, in media, you know, of course, media is changing, too. That's a whole other issue that you have to deal with. But it's, you know, it's a very, uh, it, it, to me, it's a challenge, you know, and if you throw a challenge in, in front of me, then I'm, I'm going to try to solve a problem, you know, because that's what interests me. You know, it interests me to, to do that, to uh, to let people know with the depth and breadth of, of the, the musical culture is here. So it's really, it's interesting. And, you know, there are a lot of musicians who, you know, you can see generations of musicians that are in the same family and a lot of family and a lot of families here are related. They're related to each other. That's very common here. Like the Andrews family or you know, trombone shorty, you know, he's got kids in his family, John Baptiste, Baptiste, it's from an extremely musical family, you know. I mean, his 
his dad and his uncles and I mean, they were all in bands. I mean, they, they all learned from each other. And, you know, that's, that's a, a good example of two young kids and that they're young in their thirties and early thirties, but that's a good example of them taking, you know, what, you know, their family, the traditions are and taking it to another level, you know? So um, that to me is fascinating and, and really part of what makes us unique here that it continues to amaze me every day, every that, day. That's, that is like, here, here's the thing, like you're, you're giving me all the answers. So I love it. It's just making my job so much easier over here. So thank, thank you and shout out to you. And like I said, um, I'm just hearing just like, you know, just a lot that connects on just how I, how I go about things and things that I believe in from, from this vantage point. And I think like, you know, I am hoping this is the beginning of several conversations in the future because I'm learning a lot and it's like, you know, sparking like just thoughts and ideas that I have with relation to, you know, arts and culture overall and specific to, to my city. So in that I have two last real questions and then I have uh, some rapid fire questions for you. So, okay. Um, this first one, um, tell us about Mojo Mouth. I, I want to hear about that a little bit and, um, and and speak on it through, I guess, the lens of like the concept of truth. Like I did this, I did this talk, right, um, a few months back and I was talking about like the podcast is called The Truth in This Art. People are like, so you're telling the truth, what, what it's about and all of that. And I had these quotes and one of them that popped up is no one is more hated than the person that speaks the truth. And I had an, a story that connected to that. So I thought this would be a very apt question for you. <laughs> well, you know, that Mojo Mouth thing started, golly, I don't know, back in the mid 90s or something, you know, because I, you know, I never really did any. I never really wrote anything. And then I thought, well, you know, I have the, the ability to say what I think um, as an editorial comment from me, um, you know, in the magazine. So um, I started, you know, there are things that were like pet ideas that I that that I had. Obviously, I'm always I used to always talk about, you know, we don't have enough appreciation by the business. I said the business community, hospitality industry, the universities, whatever. We don't have enough um, appreciation for what music is. So I started off with that. And then it's like, you know, if I saw some things that I thought were you know, unjust, then I thought, you know, I'll mention that. But I also have always been the kind of person that if I'm going to complain or bitch about something, I think that I should have the ability to, you know, I should make a suggestion or, you know, let's let's make a suggestion for how we fix this. And not I don't want to just bitch about it. You know, I want to say something that, you know, if, if you are, you know, if this is wrong, then why don't we do this? You know, why aren't we doing this? Now, whether or not it gets done or not, you know, is something else. But I, I feel like over the years that Mojo Mouth has said some things that have helped bring some things to fruition. And I can I can name a bunch of them. One of one of them is we had no ability to educate people on the business of music here. So therefore, a lot of musicians got screwed around, which is not unusual for any, you know, if there are always a lot of musicians that, you know, get screwed, unfortunately. So now we have um, several programs um, on a, a, a university level and 
um, community college level that are teaching basic, you know, music business tenets. And of course, that's changed over the years, too, you know, but we have it there. There's a program at Dillard. There's a program at Loyola University. Um, there's a, a jazz studies program at uh, University of New Orleans, but it's not uh, um, business oriented. I think they do teach some classes. We have um, the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, which is a, the, a creative arts high school. They teach that kind of stuff. Um, we we needed a we need an ongoing uh, ability for the musicians to become educated on how they can take care of themselves, you know, and take care of their business, you know, because it's important because when you deal with music and, you know, an art, you know, you deal with intellectual property and, you know, there's so many things that can go wrong. So now, you know, back in the time when I first got started, there was maybe, you know, one attorney, music attorney. And now there's, you know, buku attorneys, as they say, there's bunches of them. Um, we have the, the there's a, the um, economic development, Company, uh, the, uh, it's a, a, a nonprofit agency. It's a quasi-public agency that's trying to get music, the music industry started here again. And they've discovered that you can. There's such a thing as rights, sync rights. You know, you know what sync rights. I know you know what sync rights are. But people who have written music, who are their music is not, you know, being promoted to. Uh, to entities, usually film, commercials, whatever, where they can get paid for the use of their music, you know, because a lot of musicians don't think about that. They don't, they don't think about, I mean, I know people that have, you know, that have made, make a living now doing that, you know? Um, so, I mean, that, and that's just part of the stuff that I learned as I've been doing this. I mean, there's so many things that, that have happened. Um, you know, the, the, hospitality industry now started this thing called uh it's called nola by nola where they're promoting um uh, live music at the clubs which they never did before i mean there's you know things don't happen in new orleans real fast it takes a really long time and i sometimes i feel like you know all the ideas and the stuff that i've been talking about in mojo mouth all these years i just feel like Nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. But, you know, I'm the kind of person that thinks like, I want it and I want it now. <laughs> yeah. Same. Same. You know, but it doesn't it doesn't work that way. You know, it, it, it takes a long time for change to be made. And I can I can say I, I think that since Offbeat has been around, there have been a big bunch of changes and for the better. You know, and I, I maybe I'm trying to, you know, toot my own horn here, but I just think that, you know, the fact that we've been around and been talking about it and, you know, pushing and pushing, pushing that, you know, people are starting to pay attention, but it's still taking too long, you know. I, I feel you. I feel you. Like um, I get an idea and I'll pitch it. I'll write all of the stuff, taking that sort of business background. And it's like this has to be structured in a real way. Let me make sure everything is signed and research and all of that. And sometimes I'll get like deaf ears or people will get back to me a lot later. And I'm like, they don't have the vision. That's literally what, I, what I'll say. And but I think there's a lot of ideas that are very sound and you know it's it's things that it's just like 
I think being an entrepreneur and, and having that, that mindset and that background from a strategic standpoint, you can kind of see like, here's the business case for this. This is why this <laughs> will work. And having the know-how to kind of move things along. And then when you get caught um, by that sort of snail's pace or that I have this idea that there are why people and how people. This is why we should do this. This is why we should work with the hospitality industry. This is why we should combine, you know, our arts and culture with this industry. And a lot of people get caught up on the how part, and that just leads to procrastination and things ultimately not happening. Yeah. Well, you know, somebody has to be the person who puts it puts it in place. I mean, we we have an ongoing problem here. I'll give you another example. We have something called a noise ordinance. Okay. And the noise ordinance in most cities have this, you know, prevents you from playing music, you know, at a certain level, blah, blah, blah. Well, this is a big issue all around the city. It's particularly a big issue in the French Quarter, okay? Because people do live in the quarter, okay? Not as many as there used to be, but there's still people do live in the quarter. And there are a lot of uh, venues, you know, on, especially on Bourbon Street, that, you know, they blast music out. There's, there's a... I'm not going to get into that. There's a whole, that's a, that's a whole conversation in itself, but uh, there's a noise ordinance and, you know, there, they, even the city even brought some, a guy in who was a, a specialist in noise abatement and measuring noise and blah, blah, blah. Okay. This is probably 10 years ago. And of course the guy did this massive study and nobody's paying any attention to it. That's politics. Okay. But I thought, you know, if, if the city, found a way to give some kind of a tax break to uh, the venues in the quarter and elsewhere for people who installed noise abatement in, you know, in their venues and kept the doors closed, then, you know, that would help out a lot. I mean, nothing has, nothing has been done, but, you know, I mean, I can continue to, to say that kind of stuff. Because now we have the problem on Frenchman Street, which has become Frenchman Street was a, was not the way it is now. You know, 10, 12 years ago, it was a place where all the locals went to hear music. They don't go anymore because it's turned into Bourbon Street. And, and when I'm and I'll, I'll say it now, you can edit it out. But, you know, um, the, the way it was set up on Frenchman Street is that you could not have unless you had your alcoholic beverage license, you cannot have music. Uh, you know, you couldn't have a amplified music. You couldn't have a stage. And there was only one permitted per block. And let me cut to the chase. Anyway, what the deal is, they were supposed to keep, the venues were supposed to keep their doors closed. Okay. And since we have no police here, they don't, they don't, they have not enforced that. We don't enforce the law. That's why New Orleans is known as the big easy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Because people, people do stuff here and it's sort of like, you know, it's not hurting anybody else. I'll just turn the other way. You know what I mean? Okay. So it's better than starting a big fight or whatever, you know, because they know how to control crowds here. I mean, look at Mardi Gras and all this stuff, but you know, it's it's really difficult to um, to enforce a, a noise abatement, and so what's happened on Frenchman Street is 
most of the venues now on when people used to go they are local people that go to frenchman street they'd go to the club they'd play a cover charge to get in and then go here they'd go listen to music now because nobody enforces the law it's turned into bourbon street where people have their doors open and you can walk down the street and listen to music which does two things it devalues the music it devalues the musicians the musicians aren't getting paid to cover and um it's it's just encourages a street party instead of you know the culture you know what i mean even though yeah we have a culture of partying too but i'm trying to look out for the musicians you know what i mean yeah and 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 that's that's the same thing actually happened on bourbon street bourbon street used to have this a long time ago but local people would go to bourbon street they'd dress up they'd pay a cover to go to al hart's club or pete fountain or whoever and you know as time went on people came in bought you know the venue didn't care whether or not there was music in it and they just want to sell as much alcohol as they can well that's kind of happening on frenchman street now which bothers me all the time because it devalues the music the music musicians are not getting their due you know and uh, we don't have a union here we don't you know younger musicians don't even under, know what a musician what a, what a uh, what the union was or what they did and the musicians here are not gonna you know uh coalesce as a group to demand that they get respect they don't do it and that's that's sort of typical too you know i mean musicians want to play they want to play they want to get paid and they don't care if they get how much they get paid they just want to get paid something you know i'd rather have you know get the cover than get a percentage of the of the bar you know what i mean but anyway that's what kind of the stuff that mojo mouth talks about you know because people don't think about that stuff and they need to think about it because but the musicians are you know they're a small group of people but you know my it's like hey you know you want to find out what new orleans is like without the musicians then all musicians need to like not play anymore for a month and see what happens like that's gonna happen it ain't gonna happen no, I know this. I, I love know that. it. You know, I mean, you got to be realistic too. So, what do you do? You know. No, you're right. Okay, so I'm, that was I can I can. No, 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 no. That that was that was very insightful. Um, definitely gives me some context. Um, in addition to it, I think this is I think this is going to start off the 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 series of interviews. I think that's what it's going to be. This is this is a great one. Um, so this is the last real question I have here before I get to those rapid fire ones and. The quick one, this this question is this. Uh, I'm very like intrigued by this concept of home. I think when we leave a place, we visit a place, we bring certain characteristics um, with us. And I, you know, as I was touching on before we got started, two of the cities that I like, I see a lot of Baltimore in them, New Orleans and Philadelphia. I see a lot in Baltimore in them. So how do you carry, you know, that sort of sense of home when you maybe explore a new place or travel to a new place? Um. Well, I'm always, we're always looking to go experience music. You know, we all, we always are. And when, when my husband and I travel, we haven't traveled in a while, but I, um, <laughs> it's, it's really gratifying for us to go to places all around the world and find out that all you have to do is say New Orleans. Okay. And 
the music thing comes out, especially when people find out that my husband and I are both, you know, these, you know, into this music group, it's music magazine. So I'm always looking for that kind of uh, authentic experience, you know, because that's one thing that you, you get in New Orleans. It is, it's an authentic, authentically friendly place. It's an authentically music and cultural place. Um, it's not, there's no BS, you know, it's, uh, people here are very open about, um, about what they feel, what they think, you know, they're very friendly people. I mean, and, and I kind of look for that, I guess, because of New Orleans, you know, because that's how New Orleans, I look for that in other cities, you know, and to tell you the truth, it's kind of hard to find, you know, it is, it is hard to find. But once you find it, it's fantastic. I can tell you this one story. I was in Atlanta. This is a really long time ago. And there was a, this is long ago, that there was a, of all things, a, a, an independent record label convention in town. So, you know, that was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> in, in Atlanta. And I wasn't e- even involved in any of this stuff. That's when I still had a job. And I went to a little club with this person that I was staying with my friend and we walked down to this club. I can remember that. I never the name of it. It's called blind Willie's. I don't know if it's still there, but I went into the club that night because, um, a person who I knew was playing there. One of my favorite musicians was playing there. And there's a guy named Walter Wolfman, Washington, who just passed away a couple of weeks ago of all things. But anyway, I go in and it turns out, that he was playing and there were a bunch of people in that particular club that had were in Atlanta and they wanted to see Walter play, but they were from New Orleans. Okay. So Walter started to play and in New Orleans, people, this is a dancing town, very much Dance is a very important thing. So I looked around when, as Walter was playing, and I noticed that all the people that were from New Orleans were shaking their ass. <laughs> they were dancing. And the people who were from Atlanta were not. They were sitting in there, you know, and, you know, and it, was, it was great. And the people from New Orleans were like, oh, yeah, you know, this is a party. But that's how New Orleans is. That's yeah. what I, I kind of look for. You know, when I when I go someplace else, it's just a uh, it's it's a feeling that you and and a mentality that you don't get in other places. You know, I mean, I wish everybody could be like everything could be like New Orleans, but you know, then it wouldn't be New Orleans anymore either. So there's something unique that nobody else has, and and music is a big part of that. Music is the biggest part of that, as far as I'm concerned. Music and the culture, because we have so many interesting things in our culture: the Mardi Gras Indians, the masking Indians, the social aid and pleasure clubs. You know, I mean, there's just so many things that you don't find anyplace else. You know. Thank you. That that is that is great. Um, that, I like. I'm definitely going to listen to this one a couple of times. That's that's really great. Um, do you know what a social aid and pleasure club is? I do not. You know what a jazz funeral is? I do. You kind of do. Okay. Well, uh, they call them second lines. The social aid and pleasure clubs are very, uh, an interesting part of the culture in that, again, you know, this is, uh, New Orleans is a, is primarily, um, a black city and there are a lot of people who are poor 
or poverty stricken here. Mm-hmm. And what the social aid and pleasure clubs did was like it was like a community or a neighborhood um, group of people who would pool their money mm. to help their neighbors. If somebody was sick or somebody died or somebody had an issue, they would, you know, pool their money. And then these social aid and pleasure clubs, which all have, you know, crazy names, they also parade. They put costumes on and they parade and they, it's not like a parade with floats. They dance, go to YouTube and and look up social aid and pleasure clubs or, or second lines and see what you see. Okay. And then we have, you know, the, the black masking Indians and that's a whole, there's nothing like that anywhere in the city. I mean, in, in, in the country, right. anywhere in the world that I, that I can think of the black masking Indians. That's a whole other thing we're putting. In fact, I'm working on my, my issue for, February and we we are putting on the cover um, a young man who goes by the name of Flag Boy Giz and he's combining Mardi Gras Indian beats and music with hip hop, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's how things change. And and he, you know, it's and he's a Mardi Gras Indian too. So that's another thing. Look, go to YouTube and look up Mardi Gras Indian and see what you see. It's just, you know, you won't see it anywhere else. You got it. So I want to move into uh, the, quick the, the quick fire. And I'm going to mispronounce a word because I have trouble with some of these words. The the land yap portion of the podcast. <laughs> That's right. You said it right. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, so the, these are just these are just quick little asides or what have you. Um, so the first one is. What musical landmark in New Orleans is a must-see for visitors? Which one would you suggest for someone that's visiting for a weekend? Um, I would say, um, well, we do have um, a jazz museum in New Orleans. New Orleans Jazz Museum, which is located uh, at the, um, uh, it's in the Old Mint, 400 Esplanade. And they are constantly in the process of trying to create exhibits you know that that are relative to music um, they have a lot of live music there um, that's a good way to get introduced kind of to New Orleans music um, there's another museum that's in sort of in the works but that's a ways off I'd say that would be a good place to start but I would go to I would definitely try to go to Frenchman Street because there's live music there, and most of it is, I would say, not cover bands. You know, you get a lot of cover bands in, on uh, Bourbon Street. Mm-hmm. But the people who are more into music are going to go to Frenchman. Um, or one another great thing, and this is not that difficult to find, because we have so many festivals here. I mean, there's a festival for everything. You know, there's a macaroni and cheese festival. There's a- <laughs> There's a Bayou Boogaloo Festival. There's the Jazz Fest, the French Quarter Fest. There's, you know, there are festivals all the time. Essence Fest. I mean, there are all kinds of festivals. And if you're going to come to New Orleans, check out uh, ahead of time what festivals are going on. Yeah. Or go to, you know, you can always go to Offbeat and check out who's playing. <laughs> I, 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 I love that plug. Bit, I love that plug. <laughs> yeah, go to our calendar and find out who's playing. Or, you know, we get people that call us all the time and say, well, I'm going to be in New Orleans, blah, blah, blah. Do you know what's going on? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, you know, mm-hmm. but because it's not like the, the clubs book months in advance. They don't do that, you know, and because there's so many clubs here. We have so many music venues. They're right. everywhere. 
Go to Tipitina's. That's a, that's a, a great club. Go to Preservation Hall. Yeah. You know, that's two different, you know, Preservation Hall's in the quarter. Uh, Tipitina's is uptown. And it's, it's, they're both venues, but they're kind of totally different, you know, but you can hear different kinds of music there. You can, uh, you know, I don't know. It's hard for me to say one place to go. It's hard. I mean, and I'll think of something too. I'll think, I'm sure if we get off this call, like, oh, damn, I shouldn't have said that. You know? <laughs> no, but you, you've even given me a few places that are, are there that I got to check in these next few days. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so here, I got two more for you. Um, what did you have for breakfast? I had Greek yogurt and granola and a cup of coffee, and I had that almost every day. Okay. And I had a cookie for I had a cookie for lunch. What kind of cookie? Chocolate chip? No, it's a some kind of almond thin cookie or something. You know, something that's not gonna not gonna have too much of a glucose problem. You know, I don't because I, I eat a little. I just eat a little snack. Because if I don't eat a snack and my husband doesn't, you know, if I won't eat his, the dinner that he cooks, he gets he gets annoyed. <laughs> so this, this this is the last one, and this is more of the tying everything sort of together. What is what's the piece of advice you would share, being in with with Offbeat Magazine, being around for, you know, what over three and a half, going into four decades? You know, yeah. What piece of advice would you? offer up to stay relevant and impactful in one's respective field based on like the work that you've been doing? How would you tell someone that wants to stay relevant and impactful in what they're doing? Well, I, I would say uh, definitely, you know, if you're, if you have a business, you have to have the ability to, to recognize change and to adjust to change from a from a business standpoint, if you when you know there's a thing between being relevant and making money too. Obviously, you know right. if you're in business, you want to make money. But um, I think that you have to really not be afraid to change and to uh, move in in directions that you maybe didn't know that you would have to move into. I mean, I think that's a good business advice for for anybody, and also to have a vision and stick to it. You know, you still have an end vision, yeah. and you have to be able to, you know, move toward that vision or that goal within the constraints of your current business situation and how other things can change your you know change the way your business operates you have to be very flexible i think you have to be flexible and open to change i think that's really important thank you that's not specific to music but it's just you know from a business standpoint 100 you have to be that way so that's pretty much it for the the questions and the interview portion but now it's uh time for that that part where we wrap up with the shameless plugs um so one I, I want to thank you for being a part of this podcast. It's been truly a pleasure. And um, two, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the listeners where they can check um, Offbeat out and all of that good stuff. Uh, the floor is yours. Website, social media, all of that good stuff. Okay. Um, well, that's good. Um, we are going to put out um, a 2023 Jazz Fest Bible, which we, we have done every year, um, that really just focuses on the Jazz Fest since it, it is – probably the most impactful festival that we have in terms of exposure to musicians to the outside world okay 
Um, I would uh, encourage people to, you, you can order it online. It won't come out until before, right before Jazz Fest time. But um, we have now uh, our website. You can subscribe to our website. It's, uh, it's $25.99 a year, basically. But we have 35 years of content online that you can go back through and check out. I mean, it's like the history of New Orleans music for the past 35 years. And probably even earlier than that, because a lot of the stuff that we wrote about is not necessarily had taken place in 35 years. We did a a series on Louisiana Music Masters, which, you know, covers all kinds of stuff. And we're always doing junk like that. We have a weekly newsletter that is free. And you can sign up on the website. It's called The Weekly Beat. It comes out every Thursday um, where we, you know, post news and stuff that's happening that you're probably not going to find anyplace else because we're so focused on the music and culture of the city. Um, and we have social media. It's all Offbeat Magazine, you know, uh, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, uh, YouTube, Flickr. We have all that stuff. <laughs> So, you know, that would be my, my appreciate. I want people to, um, you know, to understand what we're, we're all about. We're, we're into um, exposing and promoting local music and culture. That's what, that's what we do. That's our, that's my vision. That's what I do. I'm not interested in, you know, in, uh, in doing, uh, you know, interviews with, you know, musicians who, um, or playing here or, you know, you know, don't make their living in New Orleans. I mean, that's or, or not just New Orleans, but, but Southwest Louisiana, too, since that's that's kind of where we cover. So um, at one point, at some point in time, I'd love to go back to doing a, a print magazine every month. But I don't know if it's going to happen. I just don't know. Right. You know, it, it just, you know, because the way. You know, social media and the internet has impacted um, any all print media in such, you know, drastic ways that, um, you know, I, I, I doubt seriously, unless somebody wants to, you know, come help me and, you know, be my sales rep and sell, you know, $50,000 a month so we can print the magazine. I mean, printing, printing has gone up. It's my print rates have doubled the printing wow. cost. And I, I mean, you know, just um, not me, but everybody, all people who are in print are, are running into the same situation, you know. So, um, you know, but offbeat.com is the main thing in the weekly beat and the social media, you know. And we do the best of the beat awards. We, we just did them in November, which is a an awards event for um you know, for the musicians here. We do it every year. Well that's that's pretty much the the end of everything. And there you have it. I want to again thank Jan Ramsey for coming on to the podcast and sharing a bit about her wealth of knowledge, her career, and some knowledge on uh, Offbeat Magazine. And for Jan Ramsey, I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art and culture in your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. Mm -hmm.